This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known people about their lives, their careers, and navigating those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Perry Phillips, and with me, my co-host, co-pilot, co-friend, Jim Daly. <laughs> hello, hello. Co-friend? How does that work? You share me with someone else, do you? Yeah, with all your other friends. That's true. Yeah, I guess. I guess in a way, we're all co-friends, aren't we? We're all, yeah. we're all co-friend each other at the same time. That sounds weird. Friends, and let, well, yeah, but let, let's uh, let's hope everyone does. Everyone needs yes, a friend, I'm I, sure. Yeah, and we, if if anyone listening doesn't, we will be we'll be your friends. We yeah, will happy, sign up to our Patreon. We'll be our best friends. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be your friend, pen friend for two pound fifty a month. <laughs> oh dear. Um, how are you? I'm very excited by today's episode. Yeah, it was a great episode. It, it, what I love about this episode is it, it completely indulges your need to talk about football on <laughs> every other episode. So, yeah. it, you know, be, when you get a footballer on, it you know, it's sort of, you know, comes with the territory that you're going to maybe talk a little bit about the wonderful game. Uh, yeah. I was very but even if it. you're not into football, you're, hopefully there's lots to enjoy. Yes. Well, I was in my element, of course. But uh, so we've got Jermaine Pennant on, former Liverpool, Arsenal, Birmingham, Stoke, winger. Um, Zaragoza. Zaragoza, Tampinines Rovers, as we yeah. talked about at the end. Billericke. In, in our patron, Billericke. Um, great guy. Um, I mean, incredible story as a footballer. Mm. Great career. 350 games and, you know, professional games. Incredible footballer. Great career. Incredible story. Very hard upbringing. And, he, you know, he talks very honestly about his journey and his path and the pressures that come with it. Um, fascinating episode if you're a football fan. Fascinating episode if you're not a football fan. And, and also just... Just a lovely, lovely guy to talk to as well. So, yeah, this is an absolute cracker of an episode. Yeah, it was really enjoyable talking to Jermaine. He's very open about, obviously, the, the challenges he's ha- faced during his adult life and, you know, obviously coming from a very difficult upbringing, which he, we talked about as well. So, yeah, and, and obviously Hand on Heart's sort of owning up to some of the mistakes he's made along the way. And, um, you know, we're really grateful to him for being so candid. Yeah, some great stories in there as well. A couple of uh, football changing room stories. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, which uh, which are... Uh, 
they're 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 pretty tame. Don't worry. But uh, but very funny. Um, but yeah, great guy. I just it's really interesting because you. You know, as a fan, you don't. If someone doesn't work in football, you don't sort of get to meet these players and stuff. And so, you, you sometimes the media forms an opinion of a player. And, mm. and I've seen Jermaine do interviews on GMB and stuff, and he's uh, he's very affable and friendly, but quite guarded. And yet, we turned on Zoom here, and the first thing you see is a big smiley guy who was ready to talk about. It. And it was like a yeah. different person. And it's just, it's just this is the beauty of podcasts. People can just relax and really be themselves. And I felt like we really got to know the real Jermaine Pennant on this episode. And it was just, it was just a joy to be in his in his presence for an hour. Yeah, and, and you can see why uh, particularly sp- uh, footballers would be guarded because, you know, they're regularly vilified by, yeah. you know, governments and uh, yeah. and the media, the right-wing media. And so you can see why they'd be guarded, you know, about what they do because, yeah, I think they don't... I can't think of any other sports where the competitors in it are as vilified as, as footballers are. And, and yeah, they, they are well paid. They, you know, they, 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 you know, have quite comfortable lives to a certain extent, but they, they do get a lot of stick, which is unjustified because a lot of footballers do an awful lot of good stuff as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and their careers are short. So, you know, they don't earn the same kind of amount of money as um, say American footballers or basketball players or um, formula one drivers for that matter. So, you know, I think maybe we need to give them a little bit, of sti- um, a little bit less stick yeah. and, and, and enjoy what they do. Yes, and uh, Jermaine's, you know, very honest about that. Brutally honest, you might say, which is a, brings, you, brings me on perfectly to his podcast. Oh, Jermaine has so started, a, a, I know, he has started a podcast. We talk about this at the start of the episode uh, called Brutally Honest, uh, where he has guests on. And again, it's honest conversations from from his life, from their lives. And he's had some some lovely people on, people we had on this podcast as well. So very, uh, you know, very brutal and honest conversation. So do check out his podcast as well. And he did have a book out a couple of years ago um, as well. Uh, called Mental, Bad Behaviour, Ugly Truths and the Beautiful Game, where, you know, he talked a lot about some of the things that have happened in his career and story. And I, I'd imagine that probably started him on this journey of then getting into podcasts and, and really opening up. And as we touched upon in, in the in the episode, it's important that players like him do that because there are, there'll be young players coming through f- facing similar issues. And so to hear from someone that's been through it, come out the other side and is working on themselves, I think is really important. So, you know, not just a lovely guy, but doing a lot of important things for the game. So do check out his his podcast um, and his book as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, vital for young players coming up. And that's obviously something he talked about that he wants to do is to talk to young players more and, yeah, stop them falling into some of those pitfalls that he, he found himself in. So I think that's really, really vital. So that's great to hear. Absolutely. Um, we do have a bit extra from Jermaine uh, for our patrons, as we do with everyone at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash blank podcast. So do join up for that. £2.50 a month to get bonus content from everyone. And really quickly, Giles, if it's OK, I'm going to promote some comedy shows, um, mm. if that's OK. I'm doing the Oxford Comedy Festival on the 22nd of July. So that's in three weeks time um, at the St. James Street Tavern um, at 7.30pm. It's a Friday night, Friday 22nd. Uh, tickets are eight quid, available at oxfordcomedyfestival.co.uk. Um, and that is a preview of my Edinburgh show, which I'm then taking to Edinburgh uh, for the whole of August. Uh, August 4th. <laughs> August 4th till the 28th, not including the 15th, 17th, 18th and 19th, because I'm going to see my brother get married um, in Dublin during the middle of the run. Um, It's Pay What You Want. Again, it's the same show, Jim Daly, Football and Fatherhood. It's a a very sweet 
uh, sort of um, heartwarming, funny show about being a dad and football. So th- th- there's going to be a lot of this year at the Fringe, a lot of heavy hitting, serious, important comedy shows, which you should definitely go and see as well, because there's a lot of important issues to talk about at the moment. But my show is the antidote to that. So if you've gone to see some big, important shows, then come and see mine for a bit of sort of silly, fun hour, because um, I think we all need that as much as the important stuff Are at the moment. Are you sort of making you sound like you're like easy listening well it almost is i think i mean I'm, you've seen like my Muzak. show <laughs> i am like the news of comedy yeah the music of comedy but I, th- I mean that is you've seen my show like that is me as a personality wise so yeah, why would i do a that's, show that's anything else and exactly so i think no, that's great show. i mean it's quite it, there are a few hard-hitting moments yeah so there's, like, there's when you there's talk a... about being and stuff like that it's you know... <laughs> yeah exactly i don't want to give anything away <laughs> yeah but... Yeah, well, I do. Yeah, it's the crucial. Exactly. It's the crucial. It's the thing that that people are talking about on the street. Quite exactly, quite, and yeah. we really delve into, you know, the whole issue of being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So anyway, at the fringe, it's pay what you want, but you can reserve a ticket for five pounds, and I'm there every day at four thirty p.m. at the Grass Market Centre. So if you are someone that goes to the fringe, please do come and see me, or you haven't been before thinking about going up this year, please do come and see me because I'd really appreciate it. And you can get tickets at jimdailycomedy.com/slash/edinburgh or on the official ed fringe app and and all that kind of stuff so yeah please do come along and see me either in oxford or edinburgh be lovely to to, uh, to see you thank you for letting me get that uh admin and promo out of the way giles i appreciate that's fine it. i'm i'm gonna plug something that's more pod related and that's the fact that um some people might not if they're new listeners they might not know that there is a book that accompanies our podcast called blank how, why it's fine to falter and fail and how to pick yourself up again which is available in all good bookshops bad ones too and online <laughs> Uh, it's an old joke, but it's a goodie. And uh, also, it's very excited because if you live in Korea and any listeners from South Korea, if you're listening today, you can soon get your hands on a copy because the book is being translated and will be coming out in South Korea, which is very exciting. We got to see some 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 different versions of the cover, which was very exciting. Yeah, very exciting indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to know that that we've got people listening in from there that. Yeah, it's it's always uh, mind blowing, really, to think about how far this pod goes. So, uh, mm. if you are there, please do. Yeah, please buy a copy. We'd really appreciate it. And let us know. Yeah, contact us at our Twitter or our Facebook or Instagram at Blank Pod, and let us know where you're listening or reading, you know, reading in from around the world. It'd be fascinating to know. Yeah, and the book is available in, like I say, all around the world anyway. So just grab a copy. Indeed. We'd love you to read it. It's Jim and I waffling on about <laughs> how uh, how great we are. No, it's about. Um, <laughs> It's about the various themes that come up on the podcast. And there are lots of bits of uh, some anecdotes from the podcast that people have shared with us. And, yeah, hopefully it will help people that might be going through certain things along the way like we were. Indeed. We we hope people enjoy this podcast, but we also hope it does offer a bit of help as well. And if it does that mm. as well, then we're, we're very happy, aren't we? So uh, we yeah. are. Um, Someone else who's happy, Jim, is the Vegan Butcher. Uh, They've sent us a review, which is very nice. That's lovely. Uh, uh, Vegan Butcher says, great uplifting podcast that can, in my opinion, help deal with life as a whole, not just those blank moments it was intended for. So, again, very on brand with what we were just saying that, yeah, um, it's not just about these interesting conversations. There are actually some real insights. And uh, if you are going through something difficult at the moment, then uh, you might have a listen to the podcast. It might give you a little bit of comfort along indeed, the way. Indeed. And uh, thank you very much to the Vegan Butcher for that. Um, as a vegetarian slash vegan person myself, I'm now interested to know what they what they provide. I might go and yeah, have to go. Yeah, what are you just sort of slicing up 
tofu yeah or but, but, but the, i would imagine if you're someone that focuses on vegan food you're probably you're probably then very good sausages. oh they're probably the best aren't they um other vegan sausages cool. are available Come, richmond, not so keen richmond are good richmond's quite richmond, good yeah but, yeah, um, yeah heck do some heck do some as well oh, yes nice, yeah, yeah yeah anyone else but there are lots of other brands yeah. but we will take any brand but if any <laughs> exactly if any brand wants to sponsor us any vegan sausage brand wants to sponsor vegan butcher get in contact um but no thank you for your review really really appreciate it i mm. think giles we should crack on with the episode now we've we've teased yeah, people we've long enough on, on, on. with our admin and our nonsense and this is a great episode Thank you so much to our guests for coming on. And we really think you're going you're gonna to enjoy this and find lots of takeaways from it. It's the one and only Jermaine Pennant on the Blank Podcast. No, no, it's great to have you on. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll jump in if that's all right with, with you. No worries. Well, Jermaine, welcome to uh, the Blank Podcast. Uh, first off, tell us about, you started a podcast as well. So tell us about your pod for any listeners that might not know about it. Yes, um, it's called Brutally Honest. And basically it was, it was on the back of all the young stars of today, you know, you know going down the wrong path. And, and it was kind of saying, well, do you know what? I had a, a rough upbringing. Uh, I made mistakes. What can I give back to these some of these youngsters or even adults who are struggling in life? So I thought, let's just talk about brutally honest, overcoming difficult challenges, um, trauma, childhood trauma, and the effects that it has on your adult life, and for the signs and to speak out, mental awareness. So it was all those really combined, and hopefully listeners tell their story and other listeners who are listening can you know share and connect and go oh, okay i understand i've been in that place and that's how they've overcome it so it's just a, a hopefully uh nice kind of podcast um we'll, we'll put a link in the description so people can uh, can find it how are you finding doing a podcast because it's fit podcasts are very different aren't they to sort of traditional tv or radio um audio programs it's a different world almost yeah it's a totally different world and at first my first one i was a bit scared um How's it going to go? What's the feedback? Um, am I going to be good at interviewing or speaking? But the more I done it, the more I got com- comfortable with it. And I've got enough help. Obviously, Jess has like got a few clients, and from Giles has helped me as well. So thank you. No worries. Um, <laughs> and basically, I'm doing it on my, on my own. So I, I edit my, my own. I add the music all on my own. So it's literally just solo. The, the end product is all me, which is, which is good. So I feel... You know, like I'm achieving something. That's great. We're it's the, great because we're the same girls, aren't we? We yeah, do all this on our own as well. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah. It, it's, but it's nice to have that ownership over yeah. it because, like you say, when you put no, it, it out is. there, it, it's yours and it's you can edit how you like and you can you can make it exactly how you want to make it. And that's there's something empowering about that. Yeah, you ain't got some tech genius, you know, doing a flip on it and a twist. You can say, no, I've done that tune. I put that part together for me. Well, yeah. the thing about podcasts, um, we had Laura Whitmore on, didn't we, Giles? And she was saying mm. that she, she hates doing TV and radio interviews because, or certainly t- not TV, like uh, press magazine stuff, because the only person that sees the transcript is the journalist. So if they write something out of context... It's your word versus theirs. She says she loves doing podcasts yeah. because the context is all there. So if it gets taken out of context, she's like, listen to the podcast. It's all there. So it's just a different form of like interviews and getting out there because it's it's like the covers are off. You can't, you almost can't get misquoted. Yeah, yeah 100%. Obviously, when you're doing a, like I said, talking to a journalist, they they can pick out juicy parts 
I miss the, you know, the upbringing of it and the ending of it. So, yeah, like I said, you can get misinterpreted, but a podcast is literally everything off, all chains, and like I said, you get the the full gist and, and, and the outcome's always good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jermaine, going back, that which we normally do on this podcast, we go back and talk a bit about um, how we how our guests started their their sort of journeys. I, I wanted to ask you about when that first moment that you kind of discovered you were good at football. Because I, I was thinking the other day, I obviously never became a professional footballer, and I'm not oh. very good at football. But there was a moment uh, I remember in the playground. We had a tiny playground at our school and it was concrete there was no grass and we had used to have these little air balls which were like plastic with the holes in them and yeah. there was one day where i was like on fire and i was i was taking it around i thought <laughs> do you know what i'm gonna I'm, I'm this is what i want to do i want to become a professional footballer unfortunately i broke my leg um about six months later uh, and that was that'll that, be right and that, yeah. yeah and I, i've always oh, put that down it, to put i know i know i know exactly and i've always said that curtailed my Classic. career uh i think it was just a one-off um but was there a moment for you when you kind of like you know in school or or playing with your mates that you kind of realized you know what, i'm pretty good at this yeah uh, I'm, I'm trying to run my back and i can remember in primary school it, i was i was always good and it would be me, my best mate, and another guy, and we'll have a goalie versus 15 kids. Mm. Um, <laughs> 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 it was just funny. Um, but I think the, the first moment was when my dad was shot. Um, we was away, I think, like Bournemouth, down on the beach. Um, we went past one of them lawyers that sell ice creams, footballs, towels, you name it. Um, and he bought a ball. And he, cause he was semi-pro, so he, he was, you know, quite quite handy himself. And then he bought this ball and he said, shouted me and threw it to me. He's, he's not really expecting anything. He's not, he's, he don't know how good I was or whatnot. And then I've controlled it, juggled it and then volleyed it back to him. And he caught it and he stood there in amazement and was just gobsmacked. So he thought, is that like a one-off pony tree? Let me just do this again. So we did it about three or four times. And then that's when it was like, Oh, you never told me you could play football. <laughs> uh, and then and then from that moment I was like, I've got this. And then it kind of just nurtured from there. So how old are you at that point? I was five. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm like I'm desperate for my daughter. My daughter's two and a half and I'm desperate for her to get into football. But we haven't had that moment yet. It's mostly <laughs> yeah. Give me <laughs> three years. her missing it and me going, Come on, Maria, you can yeah. do this. Get your head in the game. Come on. <laughs> But I'm sure when I was even when I could walk, um, I was kicking kicking things around the the house. And I remember Granddad used to go absolutely crazy because he loved his garden, loved his plants, and you know planting all these. And I was in the back kicking anything around and just ruining all his garden. He's going mad at me. But from when I could walk, I was a pain in kicking the ball. But you know, from like the age of five, that's when my dad kind of saw it. Yeah, and I guess at that point you've got. You're just playing for the love, aren't you? You're just kicking the ball because you enjoy it, and then, oh. but then I guess at some point you're then suddenly it's serious, isn't it? You know, you're in academies, or I mean, obviously for you, you then go to Arsenal at a very young age. It it must then switch, and, I, and I'm wondering. It's probably the same for every player. At some point, there must be a point where you think, 
I've I've lost the love a little bit. Like it's not the same as when I was young and just kicking a ball for fun. Yeah, it's it's crazy now because I used to pay to play football. I used yeah, to pay yeah. two pound fifty back then for subs um, at your like, local team. Um, but yeah, it's, it is crazy. I think it's when you start getting close to the first team. So when you start leaving school, mm. and then you rather than you just turn up having a training session and playing a game, it's that's you now new, your new job. Because you're doing it every single day, so it's coming like a job. And I think that the longer that goes on, youth team is not so much because you play. I was playing every, you know, I was the, one of the best players. Well, I was the best player in the youth academy and going up through the ranks. But it's when you start getting to the first team and that that love for the game when you're not playing it gets you frustrated. That's when that love kind of fizzles out. I know you're getting paid a, a you know a shitload of money, but the thing that you loved as a kid was just playing. You know, you didn't yeah. go to school and sit on the sidelines and watch. You'd be angry. You'd be <laughs> well, annoyed, Charles wouldn't did, you? But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, as a kid, you'll be, you, you know, you always wanted to come on and like, when the, and the coach or a school teacher took you off, you, you, was, you was upset. So yeah. that's just heightened in times like, or hundred when you get in the public eye and then the big first teams. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, when you were playing at school, um, obviously you would have been one of the best players. Was there a feeling of uh, camaraderie around the school? Like, you know, did, was that something, I mean, I don't know if you were particularly academic or anything, but was that, for some people, that's a real outlet, isn't it? To have something that you're good at with regards to sport, I think. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because when, you, when you're good at something at school, it's, it's, that's your thing. You know, yeah. you can have a genius at school. You go, oh, look, uh, that is going to be a scientist. He's so clever. <laughs> She's so clever. Or whatnot. <laughs> Mine was, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a sports star. He's, he's, so you're kind of one of the cool kids. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, I was, I was obviously known for football. And I remember in secondary school, I used to love the assembly because when we used to play our games for, against other schools, I'd probably score seven or five goals <laughs> and would win, you know, by double figures. And it would be... Jermaine Pennant coming up to collect his world. He scored six goals this time. And all the cast were clapping. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good moment. So at that, at that point, was there like, are you thinking I'm going to be a footballer? Like I'm, was, I'm, I'm clearly going to be a footballer. That was my dream. And that's all I really thought of. I never, you know, you, you have probably kids have multiple dreams or multiple job, you know, ventures or what they would like to be. I'd like to be this or that or this. I was strictly football. One coach, one basketball, one tennis, it was just football. It was, you know, I didn't want to be a, a, a physio or, you know, anything around the sport. It was just strictly football. I want to be football. So if I never made it out of footballer, I would have been screwed. Because <laughs> I had <laughs> no idea what I was going to be good at or what to do. Is that actually, I mean, that, to be honest, I guess that brings on to a slightly deeper question about the game in general, because so many kids, obviously so many kids don't make it and so many really, really talented kids for whatever reason don't make it as well. And it seems like, or certainly used to seem like there wasn't a support network then for kids. As yeah. you say, they, they get to 17, 18, they don't make it and they think, oh crap, what do I do now? Has that, uh, was that the case uh, uh, in your era and has that changed? Yeah, it would have, it would have been the case in my era and I, it's got better. It's not amazing, but it's got better. Because um, only 1% of footballers make it. Yeah. That, that The figures are absolutely crazy. And, you know, touch wood, and I'm great, very grateful that I've got as the career that I did. 
Um, but, you know, some of these, nowadays, some of the academies start at like six and seven. Mm, wow. Yeah, where my day was, you know, when you finish really, uh, finish secondary school. But now you've got the going in twice a week in, in academies and the parents of from that age automatically assume their child's going to make it. And they put a, as the child starts getting older, they put a lot of pressure on it. And all that child's known is football from six, football in academy, 10 yeah. academy, 20. Then when they get to the age of 17, the teams can turn around and say, right, it's been a mate, you've got a great 15 years or how many years, but we're going to release you. And then that person or player, they're in turmoil. Because yeah. the clubs, the club just wash their hands, that's it. So mm. they don't put anything on in the background or a learning to, to another avenue. They just say, right, thanks, off your pop. See you later. All the best in your in your new career, in your new chapter. Uh, apart from that, you've got the FA, UL, PFA, but there's not a lot. And there's a lot of players from Academy who, don't, who get released at early age. Absolutely, you know, really got nothing to live for. And some commit suicide, some go with depression, and that there is, there should be more for for people who um, take that path. It is a bit sad. Mm. It's quite stark when you when you obviously when you say it like that. But um, yeah, yeah, it does seem to be. I think obviously we've seen we we're Palace supporters. I'm going to put that out there early. Um, <laughs> and I know Palace are trying to do, and I'm sure other clubs are as well, trying to do a bit more in that. Um, vein trying to help players who've maybe come to the end of their career early or um, haven't quite made it through the youth ranks that they've given some some support to those to those players so that they can go on to do other things um, so I think it's vital that clubs start to do that um, like I say there's probably a lot of lost souls out there that are going to not know what to do yeah. themselves there's going to be a lot of lost souls and there is winners that's for sure yeah. um and yeah, even if it's you know media training outside of the media, the being a footballer, you've got a lot of knowledge, a lot of insights that most people, journalists, don't have never kicked a ball, so they won't know. So yeah, you know, it's even things like that media, where if if you're good vocabulary, then you've got a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that something you would you would do, Jermaine? To, go, go and talk to. Would look, would like to do go and talk to kids that haven't made it or kids in academies and stuff because I mean obviously you've been there and done it and you've had a long career but you've got so much experience and expertise you could probably pass on. Yeah, hundred percent. I've I've always said uh, any footballer or any you know sports person who needs kind of help of the you know the rejections and the the downfalls of not fulfilling your potential or your dream and then left in the wilderness and like I said I've I've got bags of experience of of making the wrong decisions, on being at the highest pinnacle of your career, you know, distractions. So I think I've done it all. I can offer, I can offer, <laughs> offer a lot of advice on what not to do. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'll be, I'm, I'm always open and, you know, hopefully the podcast can lead for some of that in, in, in it, inside. So yeah, any kind of work that people need, I'm, I'm always at hand and would love to share the insight and help others. Yeah, it's about having conversations, is it? Going yeah. back to your earlier days, I know you grew up in a very difficult area in Nottingham, so football was really an outlet for you. It was, you know, a distraction for you. Tell us a bit about, you know, those those times and, and growing up where you did, because well, I know you've been quite open about it in recent years, about how difficult it was around there. Yeah, it was... Looking back, I, I would say, yeah, that was, you know, really bad. But growing up in it, you don't think anything else that's what you're born into that's what you see every day 
it's you know it's like getting up brushing your teeth um and it was like a community but it was crime a lot of crime it was drugs it was gang warfare um so, so yeah but the the most i think what part what really affected affected me was obviously not having a, my mum there um, going from stepmother to stepmother to, you know, stepmother. I'd like four stepmothers before the age of 11. Oh, wow. And I always felt abandoned, felt abandonment. And growing up in that kind of environment, kind of having to survive for yourself, not having the mother around, that's what had a massive impact on my life growing growing up as, a, as an adult and making some rash and wild decisions in my football career because of the trauma of, of of not having you know that maternity love, mm. and obviously growing up in that yeah, if I wasn't good at football, that was definitely my avenue out. If I wasn't, I would have just been like the the rest of the youngsters in that area. Which is actually I spoke to some friends, and it's actually got worse. They're now wow. gangs inside the gang, so they're they're all fighting each other um, from from the one area rather than usually it's against other areas. If you go out of town and now they're all, you know, fighting each other. And one of my, you know, friends who I grew up with, his younger brother got stabbed and killed about three months ago. Oh, my oh, God. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if if football wasn't, I didn't stick to it or and didn't lead any distractions, take me off path, then I would have been, you know, the next kid probably getting stabbed or being in in crime or drugs or whatnot for sure. So that that really adds a pressure then when you realise you're good at football and you could it could maybe be a way out. God, that adds, that adds such another level of pressure to succeed in a really difficult industry. Yeah, it, it did. But like I said, when you're growing up young, you don't think of that. You just go out and enjoy it. You know, yeah. I, I was riding my bike to training at Notts County because I used to train with the first team when yeah. I was like 14. I used to ride in on my bike. <laughs> They've all got the flashcards out there riding on my bike. What bike did you have? Did you... <laughs> it was just a, a regular Martin bike. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, was just, you know, I bet like, they loved like that. I, yeah. like, I bet the first team has loved that. It was, yeah, it was so funny. I used to park it outside the changing rooms and just like, oh, boys. Oh, God, yeah. But again, you enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it there. And then obviously, I. I I think I believed that I would make it and the, the noise around me at that age and how good I was, I think I had no other thought of not not making it. But then as you get older, then, yeah, you feel about the pressures that where you came from and then the bigger you get, the harder it gets. It, it's, yeah, it sounds yeah. crazy, but the more, the, the more in your spotlight, the more money you accumulate, the harder things start to become. The, yeah, definitely true. I think actually as you get older, Anyway, you get more of like uh, that inward look, don't you? When you're a kid, you're just so confident. Yeah. No, nothing's a problem. And then you get older and you're like, oh, crap, I could fail at this. Oh, crap, I could fail at this. And then it's like the more you know about the world, the more it like makes you anxious about stuff. And then <laughs> if you multiply that by being a footballer, then it must be the stress must be unbelievable. Yeah, the, the, the stress is um, crazy because the thing with me, which I won't say it's a bad thing, but I always wanted and thought I was normal. And wanted to join in with my, what my mates did, but sometimes you can't. You've got to separate the two. And I would go out and have a laugh, and that's where the press would go. Oh, have a field day with this one, and then I get a tag and you know out drunk. And but I just wanted to be normal, and sometimes get away from that side of the game and let your head down. But unfortunately, that's the you know 
there's per, there's cons and pros of the job, and that's the cons. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have anyone kind of really support? Because I guess like we were just saying about having, like it's important to have some sort of support network around you. And I guess things were difficult in that respect. You know, you you was you know you mentioned that you there was you know had subsequent kind of um, stepmothers, so you know things were probably a little unstable at home. Was did you have any support around you when you were that age? To because you obviously need a lot of guidance when you're going into this big career yeah. of, of being a footballer. Yeah, that's that's one thing I didn't have the support um, or guidance. Really, it was learning from my mistakes. Hmm. That's the only guidance I had. Um, you know, my, my dad, I didn't have a relationship with my dad for about 10 years um, when I kind of moved to Arsenal. He was on drugs mm. um, for, for a good 10 years and I kind of shut him off because I was so scared of what would come out in the media mm. if they knew. And, I, you know, I'd kind of just shut that part of my life off so they're not having a mother, not having my father really to support with, you know, come to the games and and even talk to and give me guidance because he kind of came from nothing. He didn't know any better, really. You know, it's only now he's, he's 60, 60-odd 60 something and he's, he's texting me the other day and saying that I've got a new job and most one I've ever had. And only now he's getting his shit together. <laughs> yeah. So he couldn't really give me in his early, you know, late 2030s, give me guidance or whatnot. So I didn't have that. That, that guidance, I didn't have that support. I only had my yeah. agent at the time. And my friends were back in Nottingham Meadows and they was, you know, in the crime, gun crime. So it it, it was hard. It was difficult. Um, and I, what I would say, I think it's so important for for players or anyone in, in, in the industry to have support. Support around you is, is huge and it goes a long way. And that's something that I, I didn't have and kind of regret. Yeah, and, and you forget as well, and you know, Giles and I as football fans, like you forget sometimes when kids break into the first team, how they're still kids, how young they are. Like we mm. see these like eighteen year old kids, and we just treat them like adults because they're playing in the first team, but they're not. They're they're kids, and so of course, even if they've had a normal upbringing, they're going to make rash decisions and and do whatever. But you you never hear about players' upbringing and background. They're just like mm. chucked into the ground, chucked into the first team. You think they're a normal human, crack on with it. But there are so many things going on behind the scenes, and, and you know, you're so telling right. us about your example. So of course, people at the age of eighteen, nineteen, twenty, their, their heads are going to be all over the place. Especially as someone like you, and there's this huge pressure of like he's the next big thing. Of course, you're going to make rash decisions, and it almost seems inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's funny you said that, but that, that's, I, I speak, when I speak about it, I do say, I was, I was on the path I was destined to be, there was some chaos, because that's all I've known in my life, mm-hmm. is from, from, from birth to, you know, only recently getting my shit together, it's chaos, you know, and, and not having no one, a good parent or a good someone to, you know, help you in the right path, you know, my agent tried to do the best he could, and, you know, he's still with me now, but, Again, you need more. You need your your, your blood, your, your family there. And you look at the successful players, I'm sure they've had great support network to help them when they've gone off the rails. You know, 
a dad to be there and say, come on, son, you know, look, look, or I think you should invest in this. You know, most parents have bought houses. So when I was trying to buy a first house, my parents never got involved. It was just, oh, I want that because I've, you know, yeah. making kind of rash decisions. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it was inevitable that I was going to make some form of, of, of fuck up because that's all I've known in my life. And, and I guess as well, like, um, because I used to say like Arsene Wenger was a bit of a sort of father figure to players and stuff. And I don't know if he offered you support or anything, but no one managers are, are, are looking after 30, their dads are 30 people. So they can't, as much as maybe they can or can't offer support, it's not the same as a, a regular dad or support from home. No, not at all. Like I said, they've got to manage a, a team and they can't just, you know, really take uh, favouritism to one player. But I think managers do need to adapt and evolve in man management skills. They can be great coaches, great tactical, you know, coaches, but some of them are horrendous at man management skills. Mm. And to get the best out of your players, you need to have that. Um, you know, I, I won't be the only one, but Steven Gerrard, Carabao will say that. Rafa Benitez is probably the worst manager to go and talk to. Never thought you could knock on his door. Really? It would be blunt. Yeah, it wasn't a guy you would... He wouldn't praise you. He wouldn't give you praises. I remember I come off a game and got man of the match, but he wanted to speak about the negatives. Yeah. Well, I could have done better. It's like, is this guy all right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? We just got man of the match, Gaffer. Give me a break. Um, but that's the kind of guy was. But I say the best man management manager I had was Steve Bruce because I did, really? you know, point of, yeah, I did point through hell and back. And when I was at um, Birmingham, and that's the best probably I played one of the best periods I played in my career because it got me the move to Liverpool. But no matter what I did, it would bollock me, but it would play me. And I would, you know, be the best player on that pitch. He knew I went out one night when one's supposed to. And he thought it would teach me a lesson. He said, I know he's been out. So I know he's feeling like shit. I'm going to play him to teach him a lesson. But I got mine of the match. And wow. he didn't mention anything because he thought, wow, what can I say now? We just got MLM. I can't have a ball. I can't, I can't bollock him now. I should have done it before the game. So I'm going to have to let it slide. <laughs> like weirdly backfired. Yeah. So he never said anything. But I played him. Every time I put on that shirt for him, I played, I wanted to run my socks off because I was so grateful for the opportunity that was given me. When he came to visit me when I was in prison. Just, just little things like that. I... You know, I did drive him mad and he did like bollock me, but I always pulled my socks up for him and I always respected him. And, you know, I thought he was, I always thought I could go and speak to him about anything. Uh, that's it, amazing. That's yeah. And amazing. it makes, it makes perfect sense yeah. that if someone is looking out for you, that you're going to yeah. do your best for them. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I don't understand the process of like, you know, so obviously you talked about Rafa Benitez there and I've heard that before from other players on, on, um, on football podcasts and stuff, that he's he is quite cold uh, as a man. Mm. You just can't imagine, you know. Obviously, he's been very successful, but I just can't imagine that way of working. It's I mean, just old school. Just, well, it, yeah, it's a kind of like yeah, it's like the principal of a school who haven't talked to any of the staff <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. it sort of wanders around the hall and you everyone's intimidated <laughs> by them. Um, yeah. But I can't imagine how that would work as a player. You you would need that guidance and love, I would have thought, to play your best. Yeah, of, of course. It's like, do you know when you're at school and you've got that PE teacher who always, you can't wait for his lesson? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You, you, and then you put a lesson, no matter what it was, you just, you give it your all. 
Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's the same concept. You, you know, you get the best out of your players. Knowing your players, like a, probably a James Milner and me, a, a chalk and cheese, right? So, you know, you would know how to, you know, navigate James Milner. Yeah. With me, I would like a shoulder. I would like a your arm around me, yeah. give me that support, give me that love, tell me it's all right. And, you know, if I fuck up, yeah, bollock mm. me, I know. But then, you know, not reward you, but then, right, we've got a big game, you focus, then boom, yeah. I'll be on it. That's how you would manage me. You won't manage James Milner like that, you know, because he'll probably break down. You've got to give him a different <laughs> <laughs> you know, You've probably got to take a different route. Yeah. So I think, you know, if, if you're going to be a top-class world manager, you've got to have those management skills to know how to navigate your team. If you're a businessman, you see, you know, CEO, CEO, you've got to know how to run your company. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. same, you know. Yeah. But I don't think much, some managers don't. They just think tactical, um, yeah. know my players, know how to set up, boom. Yeah. Let the well, well, I would say yeah. like if you look at the the two most successful Premier League managers at, at the moment, Klopp and uh, Pep Guardiola, they are able to manage their teams and their players in those different ways. And I would say yeah. that you know that you can see there's a lot of love from from players that need an arm around them and other players that need the technical nows. I think that's um, it's quite telling in a way. Yeah, hundred percent. You look at Alex Ferguson; he's probably the same. He looked like he, he knew how to adapt to each player. You know, I could handle Cantona and Beckham. And, yeah. Mm. So it, it, Big it, personalities, yeah. You know, the, the number, yeah, the numbers are there. The, the stats don't lie, so. Yeah, but I mean, even Fergie at the time really felt revolutionary because that, that was the 80s and 90s and he was a man manager. But do we, I, I feel like it is getting slightly better because you're getting younger coaches coming into the game now who hopefully maybe do see things um, slightly more in the way that you're saying and less old school. Do, do you think it is changing and the old school coach is kind of being phased out? Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think the game has made that happen. I think the game's evolved so much, um, so much. You know, a mental awareness of it now is is big in the game, and some teams are putting things in practice to um, help players who may be suffering or depressed. You know, behind closed doors. Um, so there's a lot of things in in place that wasn't back in the day. And younger coaches are coming in and with bright ideas and yeah. you know the the so yeah there's there's so much more in place now to to adapt. I it's interesting you say uh, players to being depressed. Do you think you were depressed L- looking back at the times when you weren't breaking into the first team when you were struggling? Do you think maybe you were depressed? But obviously at that age and at that time, early two thousands, it maybe wasn't something people talked about. Hundred um, percent. Looking back now, all through my career, uh, I. Definitely depressed. Um, I would have known what it was at that time. Yeah. You know, if someone said, "Oh, you're depressed," I'd have thought, "No, I'm not mental." Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just mm. so naive and not 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 knowing anything about it. But knowing now, mental awareness and, and mental health and illnesses, I was certainly depressed because I think I, I remember one conversation. My dream of I supported Liverpool as a kid. Always wanted to play for Liverpool, so I reached that, and I was at Liverpool, big house. And I was on the phone to my age and I said, I'm playing for Liverpool. I've got this house, swimming pool, tennis court in the back, but I'm not happy. Yeah. Like, I'm just not happy. I know I wasn't playing and when you don't get playing, you, you get frustrated and you, you know, you, everyone wants to play, but it was more to it. I, I wasn't happy. So that was leading me to then go out with, on a Saturday night with friends, 
not football friends, just, you know, you know, normal, regular guy, Joe friends who could go out every weekend and wake up Sunday and go work on Monday. I was just going out with them because I was depressed and I wanted to something to give me enjoyment and fill that void. And obviously, back of that was leading a lot of mistakes. And then you go down a dark spiral, a dark hole. Yeah, and then obviously you're not, as you said, you're not you're not at a club there where you can. I mean, you definitely couldn't have gone to the manager at that point and said, "I'm depressed." I mean, I can't imagine oh, that would have worked out well at all. Yeah, I, I rough from depressed. Okay, then get to the hospital. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or we're not playing you then. Yeah. You know, so some people, some players don't want to speak to the manager because they think, "Oh, he's, he's not mentally well." So is he going to be able to give you know mm. all on next week when we're playing Man United? Yeah. So. <clears throat> We, sure. we yeah we 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 had um, name dropping now but we had Gary Neville on um, the podcast quite a while back but again he had he he went and sought help from a psychologist during his career and he said the last thing he would have done was would have would have talked to Alex Ferguson about it because his immediate thought about it was that he'd get dropped from the team um, you know and you know hopefully that is changing and and that's been but I guess in back when you were playing and when Gary was playing it was. You wouldn't talk about those things because of that sort of threat of feeling that you would get dropped or you, you know, you're not going to get picked or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. 80s, 90s, 2000s, or more Gary Neville's time, you, you know, you would have been frowned upon probably. Um, you know, you're a man, come on, suck it up, get out of there, get mm. your boots on. And then you go home and you just be in a, a really, really bad place. Like, I've been at home and I'm just thinking, oh, I don't want to go training. I just don't feel like it. And I've got to training and I'm all smiling. I've got this facade on. I've got this mask yeah. on, you know, having banter in the change rooms. Then I leave, get in my car and I'm driving all sulking again. Um, yeah. thinking, yeah. get me out of this club. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, exactly. You couldn't go in. I didn't have no one to talk to. No, I didn't really. And one of my issues was as well, was never opening up, never speaking about it. So I just keep it all in, all pent in, and you know I would let it out in in so many different ways, which you know led to some bad decisions. Yeah, mm. I can't imagine in the changing room you can. I mean, God, changing rooms are just. I'm sure they're well, getting brutal. better, but they would have been so toxic. <laughs> yeah, the the brutal. Um, some of the things that go on and and say and said in, in changing rooms are brutal. So. I'm just picturing myself now sitting in the changing room and you know, maybe Crouchy coming in and saying, boys, I think doing I'm the robot. Men, yeah, yeah, <laughs> doing the robot going, I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, I just can't picture it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Well, let's go back to the playing stuff because it's always interesting to hear about, um, about playing. So, obviously, you played for Notts County, then you went, you had signed for Arsenal at, at 15, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and how did that feel at the time? Just be interested to know how you felt about obviously joining such a big club. Not that uh, Notts County yeah. isn't. No offence to yeah. Notts County's <laughs> listeners. No offence, Notts. I know. Go on, Notts. No, no, it was, it was a great feeling because obviously at that period in time, Arsenal was huge, you know, mm. Um, Thierry just signing Nicholas and now there was there was a, a massive mm-hmm. team so it was exciting to obviously all go to London as well and uh, and play for Arsenal and when I went down I saw the setup and I was obviously taken back from what I was used to it was like oh I can't wait um, so it just felt like a, a, the 
the, the next step up was was achieved and, and, and made. Um, it was kind of taken out of my hands, though. It wasn't my decision. Um, I was at Diggs in, in Nottingham because they took me out of Meadows and put me in a Diggs in Nottingham. You know, you've got players coming from Derby, Mansfield here, but I'm in Diggs. <laughs> um, my house is 10 minutes away. <laughs> it's great, no, it's crazy. But I lived in Diggs to keep me out of where I was, where, you know, where I was born. And when I got a knock on the door and it was my dad with an agent saying, right, get your stuff, we're going down to London. I was like, what for? So we're going to go and speak to Arsenal. So I was like, all right, dad, you're the captain. Off you pop. But then <laughs> next thing you know, we signed. Um, but yeah, so it was exciting. And once I was there, yeah, it was, it was great. Did you feel pressure at that point? Because there was a lot of um, sort of media stories and stuff. They, yeah, this kid's yeah, the next big thing. Yeah, and, and yeah. Two million won it for the most expenses for like, a school, yeah. school child. Um, obviously... Then, you know, my life kind of chipped and uh, turned around because I saw myself on the back papers and stuff. And I was yeah. like, wow. And I remember my first few games for Arsenal, there was a lot of noise, a lot of, you know, a lot of fans obviously coming, you know, around it. And I, I could notice that other players who was playing against would, oh, there's, you know, there's that, there's Jimmy Pennant, mm. you know, young kids. And I would feel that and, in a way, it would spur me on. It felt like I had to live to it. So I had to perform in, in a certain way in my younger, younger years. And obviously, as you get older, when you're not reaching those, those goals, you're being held back, that's when it gets difficult. Well, you're basically getting kicked more than the other players. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Targeted. Me being a little... Yeah, me being skinny and a little whippet, I was definitely getting the big oofs <laughs> coming my way. <laughs> And you went on loan a few times while you were at Arsenal, weren't, didn't you? You went to Watford, I think, and Leeds. Is that right? Was that around that yeah, time? Yeah, I went to yeah, yeah. I went Watford twice. Yeah, first two, and then the, the third one was was Leeds, a full season, which was a was a good period. It was a great great club, massive club, and I was very grateful to you know those in the Premier League as well. So you know, that that was good. And Watford, I think they was yeah, they was in the Championship. Mm. But I was about eighteen or nineteen then. Um, good experience for sure. Yeah, I was going to say what. Yeah, what's it like being a loanee? Because it's it's something again. It's kind of people don't really talk about very much. And obviously, you yeah. have these successful periods when you're at other clubs, and then you might go back and things don't work out or whatever. Or you know, it can be the making of you. But yeah, what's it like being a loanee? How much how much um, contact do you have with your your mother club? Um, and then obviously you're, yeah. you know you're it's kind of a weird thing because you're obviously you're playing for yourself to a certain extent but you're having to play yeah. for a team that mm. not necessarily your allegiances are are with. Yeah, it's, it's the the it's it's a tricky one because yeah you play for yourself but then you play for that team and you're also putting you know your period club. Mm. Um, you don't have any contact with your club at all. You might have some of the players or your, your teammates, you know, how's it going? Yeah, or yeah. you've got a good victory mm. in. But you don't hear anything from them, you know, no coach, no, no nothing at all. Um, you don't even know if they're watching you. What? Um, That's yeah, the whole point of going on loan, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They obviously probably are. They're keeping tabs on, but you, you don't know or anything. There's no, like, right, we're coming to watch this game, Jermaine, or, or yeah. anything. Um, and then when you join that club, your whole focus is actually that, at that period of time. Is, is that club. And the only secret I, I would tell is, depending how good or bad it's going, that's when you start thinking about your other club. 
if you know, <laughs> okay. you know your t- yeah, if you know, <laughs> if you know your team's getting relegated, you're like, well, I'm going back to Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, boys, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did my best. Like, I did my yeah. best. <laughs> but um, apart from that, now you, you you fully you know focused on on the job at hand, and it, I think it's great because it does showcase your talent. Um, yeah. You know, you know, the the kind of your your gaff, you know, he's put himself in the for Chelsea now. Yeah, in, yeah. In, in the window. Yeah, um, Conor Gallagher's been great, brilliant. He yeah, was brilliant Conor for Gallagher us. Yeah. Is, is been has been brilliant, has been so good, is now it could be a feature in the Chelsea team. But if he didn't go on that loan and produce the goods that he did, he wouldn't have got that that opportunity. So it, it is a great I, I do think it's great, and it's a great experience as well for the for a player if he's not played regular first-team football. Yeah. He, and I yeah. would argue with in, in that case that he actually loved playing for Palace, which is... Uh, <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, do you know yeah. what? When, when someone's playing their best football, that means they are. Yeah. It means they're happy yeah. and they're enjoying, you know, the manager that, you know, I, I can't see how you can't not enjoy playing under Patrick. Yeah. Um, I think he's a great guy. I've played with him. I'm friends with him. He's, he's, he's brilliant, but... He looks happy. So when you're happy, that's when you get yeah. the best out of, out of the play. And he looks like he's he enjoyed his football there and he's reaped the rewards kind of. Uh, yeah, I, still, I still have a tiny dream that he comes back to us this summer on loan again. I know. Yeah. It's, as a fan, they always say, never fall in love. Though, never fall in love with a loan player. Never yeah. fall in love with We had yeah. Ashley Cole at Palace back in the late 90s. Oh, God, he was yeah. so good. Oh, I think after that loan, he was literally got into the first team. Yeah. 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 He got his chance. We made a bid. That We're kingmakers, we are. Oh. We are kingmakers. <laughs> <laughs> we made a bid that summer of £1 million to Arsenal, and a year later, Barcelona bid fifty million pounds to him, and that's it's crazy. Yeah, it was mad. He was so good for us. Actually, while Ron Palace, really, I was trying to work out: Have I seen you play against Palace at some point? I mean, you must have done. At I some have point. played, uh, yeah, multiple times. It, I, and I'm going to say, <clears throat> I hated it. <laughs> really? It's just yeah, because it's so compact. Yeah, never really got, never really got. Uh, uh, I would say that the results I got there more on the losing side. Really? For sure, yeah. If, if, if I think rightly, I think, oh, going Palace is like, oh, no. Yeah, it's one of them, <laughs> yeah. well, it is, and I it's think a tight ground, now, isn't it? Even, yeah, even the top teams now, I think, oh, we've got a game on the runs here, Palace. Yeah. You know, the fans are closed. It's not a massive, but I like big pitches, so I get a little bit more space and time. Yeah. Palace, you're not getting on of that. It's tight. It's <laughs> tight. The fans are on your back. It's like, oh. Yeah, it's I loud. The away, the away changing rooms. Are so small, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, they, they're not stupid. They yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely heard that. That's a classic, things. though, isn't it? They always like every ground has got the away changing room. It's like the the hot water doesn't work. The heating's oh, up too God. high. Like it's a classic uh, mind game tactic, isn't it? Wooden wooden benches for your seats. <laughs> yeah. You know, you go in the first scene, they've got full cushion chairs. Yeah, yeah. classic. <laughs> so from there, obviously, you went and on, went on to Birmingham. For, you did a, a loan spell there first, and then obviously you, you started working. That was all under Steve Bruce, was it? All under Steve Bruce, yeah. yeah. Um, I think he watched the game against uh, Arsenal versus Everton. In, I think back then might have been the Coca-Cola Cup. Um, he was, you know, he was impressed. And then immediately he put in a, a loan bid, and yeah, I, I, I took it because I wasn't getting any first team football at Arsenal. It was so difficult, you know. I had the Invincibles in front of me. Yeah. Um, you know, Parler, 
in his heyday, over Mars, Lomberg, Perez, Fuck. all could play on each wing, <laughs> yeah. and then Simon Wiltord could play on the wing. Like, oh, Wiltord, give yeah. me a, mm. yeah, give me a break. Come on, <laughs> I'm not come on. this team. Yeah, come on. And even yeah. when I did, I scored an hat trick, and it still didn't work. Oh man, <laughs> uh, Jesus. So yeah, I had my chance on loan at Birmingham. Um, Steve Bruce took me in, and straight away I thought, what a guy. Um, and I, I don't know if it's player managers you can click better with or they understand being a player. I always, I, I do wonder this. Um, but no, I, I clicked with him and it just worked straight away. And the loan was successful and then they put in a bid. There's a story on your Wikipedia that uh, that um, I'm sure most of Wikipedia is made up. That um, <laughs> that hat that hat trick. You were going out drinking till six a.m. the night before that hat trick. Is that yeah? Is that true? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, I can't even deny it. I don't advise it, kids. If you're listening, no, do not do it. Despite the hat trick, um, just despite that trick, do that. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, I just assume I'm not going to be in the starting eleven. Right. Probably going to be on the bench, like I've been for the old. 22 years I've been there. No, um, so I thought nothing of it. I thought, yeah, Perez is all Lumber or Parler is going to start for sure. Um, and then Ashley and all them that was rested against Southampton. Ashley Cole was rested and a few others. So a few of the boys went out on the Friday. And I was like, I'll come out. I'll be going by 12. I'm not going to be in bed anyway. So yeah. I might as well just come out. I'll have a look. I'll have Diet Coke, Coke, Buff. I'll be on my way home. They was fuming. They got the cab, so I snuck out, jumped in, jumped in a cab, followed him there. <laughs> what are you doing? I said, like, don't worry, boys. They had a few drinks and they like loosened up after a few hours. I had one drink. You know, Joe, when it hits your lips, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then it went down, then I had another. Then next minute, it's three o'clock. <laughs> Me and all the boys, <laughs> <laughs> they totally forgot I forgot a game. I'm like, it's in the back of the mind, but I'm having another one. By this time, it's 6am. And yeah, um, I'm very, very drunk. Let's just say I'm very, very drunk. We meet up at 11.30. And I'm hungover at this point. Yeah. I've had four or five hours sleep. Fuck. Four hours sleep, Max. So I'm meeting up. And then Arsene Wenger does his team talk. He does the whiteboard, pulls the paper down. I see pennants. <laughs> oh, I... D- no. I d- I double take because I thought it said parlor. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought it was parlor, so I double take. You're like a few. Oh, thank God for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I look again and it's like P E N N. I'm like, oh, my, my, my stomach literally, my heart sinks. It's like that sickly feeling again. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, no. And then I've got Patrick sitting next to me and he turns around to me and goes, he said, your time to shine. <laughs> and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I just nod, because I know if I start speaking, yeah. it's going to smell of pure vodka. So then I'm like nodding, but in my head going, absolutely not, Patrick. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, for the whole, you know, until three o'clock kickoff, I'm just in my own zone, drinking water, downing big yeah. litres of water, going, I'm 
probably t- toilet 20 times before yeah. kickoff because I've drank so much water. Yeah. Jermaine's nervous today, keeps going to the loo. <laughs> oh, I know, right? I know, right? So then I think Arson comes over to speak to me just to give me some reassurance, a little bit of, um, uh, you know, information. So he's talking to me. I'm looking the other direction. I do not want him to smell any alcohol yeah. at all. So he's probably thinking, is this kid all right? <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I go out and I'm thinking to myself, right, 10 minutes, just pull your hamstring. Just pretend it's gone. <laughs> you know, just, just like, <laughs> how are you going to get through this game like this? I'm feeling awful. I'm like, <laughs> I'm playing and I'm thinking, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the clock, 15 minutes, but the game's going all right. So I go, all right, let's just see it out for 25 then, you know, at least you played longer than, at least you played longer than five, 10 minutes. But then I score and I'm like, oh, brilliant. Now's the time. Now's the time. Yeah. yeah. But the, 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 the situation doesn't come, you know, it doesn't really fit in. Yeah. So I score another. And then I'm like, all right, half time, Tony Gaffer, you feeling sore? But I score a hat trick by then. <laughs> and I'm like, do you know what? I could do anything. It doesn't matter how bad the game, <laughs> game goes. I'm scoring a hat trick. And then, yeah, that was it. That's that story. So no one ever knew. Apart from when I told the in my book or when I brought it out. Oh man! I was going to say because players can be obviously be very superstitious. It wasn't something you uh, thought. Oh, next time, next time, <laughs> next, <laughs> next, next <laughs> weekend. Absolutely not. <laughs> next weekend, I'm going to be out till seven. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if I get four. No, absolutely not. Oh man! It, 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 I only mentioned it because I weirdly have a really similar story. So when I was mm. 25, I joined a club, club called Crowbar Athletic, and they were in like the southern. Prem or something and I joined the reserve team it's literally the highest I ever got to um, but before the first game of the season I did the same thing where I went out very stupid and again the night gets away from you you, you plan oh. one or two it just gets away from you especially if you're with people who aren't like playing the next day or whatever so just but anyway I thankfully the ne- I get to the ground um, the next day and I'm mercilessly uh, mercifully sorry on the bench I was so happy on the bench yes so that I can just sit on the bench I can hide in the corner of the dugout. I can do a couple Sit of things. Sit in the fetal position. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> under, the, under the bench. Under, under the bench. Um, do a couple of little jogs up and down the, behind the line. You're fine. And then 15 minutes to go, the gaffer calls me over and says, those call me Jimmy. Jimmy, you're up. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. Well, it's only 15 minutes. I can try and get through it. But like, okay. Um, and it was her. I, I remember in the warm-up feeling, so, feeling physically sick. And yet, for some reason, when you get on the pitch... I just, you just sort of like click into it, into game mode and I managed to get through it. And then ridiculously, like not quite as good as you, but I was playing right wing. Someone played the ball over to it. I'm suddenly in behind the fullback and I'm just, the keeper's coming out and I'm just like, I've just get to it and do something. So I've waved my foot at it. Connect, lobbed the keeper from 35 <laughs> yards into oh, the top like corner. A s- screamer. Absolutely screamer. All the crowd are going, Ray, who's this kid? All the players are going, Ray. He shouldn't be playing at this level. I think yeah. I'm so hungover. This is mad. Yeah. Absolutely mad. But yeah, I, I think as well, I mean, obviously you would have been, what, 20, 19, 20. I was, what, 22, yeah, 25. Yeah, 20, 21. You can almost, think, yeah. you know what, you're so like at your physical peak almost, you can almost sort of like run it, almost run it off. Yeah, your body can get rid of that toxic, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. North alcohol, yeah, for sure. At that young age, you know, nowadays, absolutely not. No, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> now, being at Birmingham was quite, you know, you had a lot of off off pitch stuff going on for you, but you obviously playing was was great. You know, you had a good time there. Um, was it's interesting that there's that kind of juxtaposition because obviously you had a good time playing at. at for Birmingham, but then obviously you had sort of 
some challenges off the pitch. But you you did mention earlier that Steve Bruce was a great crux for you. He was a he he supported you quite a lot, and 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 like you said, he he even visited you when you were doing a bit of prison time. So, did you feel at that point that you were getting more of that sort of support that you'd probably hadn't had previously? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it, it was from the minute I signed, really. Um, he wanted to keep me out of the city centre. Um, so he gave me his apartment. Wow. He had wow. a house, but he also had an apartment. So he said, yeah, I have my apartment in Sutton Coldfield. It's a lovely place. Yeah. Um, you know, didn't have to pay any rent. Wow. He just literally gave, I don't know if he made the club pay it or whatnot, but it didn't come from my salary. <clears throat> and it was a lovely, lovely place. And me and my girlfriend moved in there and, you know, I just thought, again, I met his family, his wife and his daughter. It was just, it was such from the from the get-go, really supporting. And I do say in my, in my book, and I do say in my interviews, you know, he was close to being my stepdad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, because, you know, that that's the kind of relationship I had with him. And he would, every time I see me, I do bad boy. You know, when I play <laughs> against him, he'd always call me bad boy. But it, it, was a, it wasn't like, you know, I thought it was a lunatic, but he just, that little stigma he had with me. Um, it, it was great, and even him giving me that his place towards about six months. You know, I got a bit stir crazy. I ended up buying a place inside the city centre, and he knew about it, but he didn't go ape shit. He just said, "Okay, well, I've tried," and he, he took his um, apartment back. And I went, "Oh, thank you." And then, and then I was banned. Then he hired a, a driver for me take me to to kind of keep me out of of the shit and mm, get yeah. in a car and driver and he had a driver who protected the train to the games you know he really did step out uh his way to help me and, and give me that support for sure uh, yeah it's yeah. i've heard a few i've heard a few things in other pods about steve bruce actually and how how good he is at that stuff and it's funny actually because i think maybe from outside the world of football he's almost seen as a bit of a figure of fun sometimes by some fans but actually there yeah. is there is a compassionate man in there 100%. You know, he's, he's, he's compassionate. He's, you know, he know, knows how to handle his players. And, and don't get me wrong, if you take him the wrong side or, or rally him up on the wrong side, he can explode. Um, you know, I've seen him go red at times and I thought, oh shit, I'm going to I'm gonna get a hide in there. <laughs> but no, at the same time, he's, he's such a, a great guy. And yeah, he does get a stick for managerial side of the game, but you know, I, I don't understand that. Yeah. And actually, yeah. he has been quite fairly He's been successful. Very successful. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. But, uh, yeah. Now, someone told me this morning, I was talking to, <coughs> I went out of coffee, and someone told me this morning that um, I had to ask you about, apparently, you were tapped up by Stephen Gerrard on the yeah. pitch. Is that a true story? That's, that's very true. Wow. It was when I was at Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah, we was, was playing against, obviously, playing against Liverpool. And obviously, that's my, that's my team, my boyhood team. And we're, we're in midfield, both of us in the midfield. And the ball was out of play. And he goes, all right, so that's Jay, who's your agents? <laughs> like, just like that. But keeping one eye on the game as well. And I've gone, oh, oh Sky Andrew, do you know him? He went, oh, no, 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 we're we'll in touch. And I went... And then he started running off. So I started chasing him. <laughs> I went, do you want his number? <laughs> <laughs> I was chasing him around, do you want his number? Because what's 
so excited. Yeah. That it's like, oh. him asking me, who's your agent? Like, I think well, it's not because you want to be, you know, signed by him. It's like, mm. it was one thing only. Is I, I just got excited. <laughs> and then after that, I was just kind of following the whole way around the game to see if he's going to ask me any more questions <laughs> or give me any more insights. And then, yeah, and then afterwards, I, I phoned my agent. Oh, Stephen Gerrard asked me who you are. Did he call you? Did he call you? <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. Yeah. So Steve, Steve Bruce is like, what? Why is Jermaine man marking Stephen Gerrard? That yeah. wasn't the right man. wing. Get the right position. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Wow. I mean, they always say, no, Gerrard lived and breathed Liverpool, but he was literally doing their business off the pitch, on the pitch at the same he, time. He literally missed the Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, I think he had a big say in, in who, who, he, who they signed. And he would, you know, um, re- recommend obviously to Rafa, and I'm sure Rafa vice versa with yeah. with Stevie mm. G. So, yeah, the, the conversation of me previous to, to being signed must have must have been in it, it, amongst the staff and stuff. So, yeah, brilliant. That I mean, I guess most players don't get to play for the team <laughs> they support, so that must have been yeah pretty special. To, uh, to it was, you know. it was, yeah, it, it was amazing. I remember getting the news, someone came out, was training at Birmingham and we got the news saying, oh, you need to get to call your agent. And I thought, automatically, oh, shit, what's came out in the press yeah, now? Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? They didn't tell me why I need to call my agent, but you need to call your agent. Yeah. So I said, oh, shit, oh, I'm going to get fined. I'm going to get sacked. What have I done? What have I done? Called him and he just said, right, get your stuff ready. Get on a train to Liverpool now. They've agreed a, fee, agreed a deal. I dropped the phone. I was <laughs> screaming, running around. Bearing in mind, the boy just got relegated to the championship. Yeah. So I ran out shouting, oi, oi, see you later, boys, I'm off, I'm off. You know, I remember David Dunn's face like, you twat. Hey, guys, I've got some good news (laughs) for me. Yeah, yeah, for me. Um, I'm off, I'm off, I'm going to for the talk. And it was like, yeah, well done. Yeah, twat. Yeah. Were you playing for Birmingham when David Dunn tried to do the Rabona and fell over? I don't think I was. I think that was the season before... But yeah, it was funny. Classic. You never leave that down. Never leave that down. <laughs> oh man, that's classic. It's, but it's, I mean, it's it's interesting that you keep coming back to Birmingham and that and that spell. And it clearly was almost the making of you. The support, you know, you played so well. The support from from Steve Bruce. And for any of our listeners that don't know, because a lot of our listeners aren't football people, you, you obviously you did go to prison for for drink driving, and you had to wear a tag. Yeah. You had to wear a tag under yeah. your socks. And it was a bit, I mean, it's a big story at the time, you know, not something you sort of see off in, in football. So h- how was that going through that? I'm sure there was like banter in the dressing room and stuff and obviously stories and stuff. So that must have been a big, you know, literally a, a big weight on you in a way. Yeah, it's like a massive watch, isn't it? Yeah. Um, a yeah. huge watch. Uh, <laughs> I remember when I, when I first went to the change rooms, it was like we signed an alien. Yeah. Everyone was around, like, inspecting it, like, going, oh, what's this? What would you do? Like, how's it doing? Is it going to hurt? Is it, you know, yeah. all these questions. I was like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, it, yeah, it, it was weird because, that, again, I remember opening the paper and all I saw was not me, just my ankle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My football boot and my ankle. Yeah. And you, what I did, I put, like, a, a wristband, you know, with your tennis tennis wristband. Oh, yeah, I put yeah. That, I put that round, yeah, sweatband. I put that round the bottom of it so it, it gave padded so I wouldn't injure anyone else and myself. Yeah. So I had that round it, a blue one. Obviously, our socks are blue, so the, yeah, yeah you, you, could, you could tell. And um, I think even all through my career, it was 
Jermaine from the fans. And I'm like, I go, here we go. I turn over, yeah. what, what am I now? Jermaine, look over. Where's your tag? Oh. And I go, mate, this is 20 years ago, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I, tell yeah. you where I, go, I don't know, mate. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's still, still stuck with me. But, um, but saying that, but it was, it was, it was, uh, it was weird. And, but it was for two weeks, and yeah. I think I played two games on it. And yeah, it, it made history. First ever yeah. player to play on a tag in the Premier League, and whatnot. But you know, not good history I want to be making. But hey, but again, like some, you know, some clubs that might have been, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back or whatever. But clearly, you had that support. That's what I mean. Yeah, I, I think if it happened now, or even back then, with a different club, different manager, that player would have been. Probably suspended, yeah. or not suspended, but yeah, not involved until that's off. Yeah. yeah. But Steve Bruce and Birmingham said no. If there's a way around it, they even got their curfew time because that's what it is. It's a curfew. The curfew time moved to midnight, usually seven p.m. But oh. we got ours moved to midnight because I'm playing an away game. Oh, so yeah. they put it on based on the furthest away game we're yeah. playing the season, and and do it like that. So. Even though I was on curfew, I could go out to a bar at noon 11. <laughs> <laughs> no more hat tricks. Uh, no, no, no more hat tricks. No. no. But yeah, they did a lot for me, Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously, like, you know, you've, been, you know, you've played some, for some huge clubs during your time. Um, has there been one standout kind of moment for you? Playing wise, other than your hat trick, of course, against Southampton. Yeah, uh, um, but as a... first... yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. As as a first, my first year at Liverpool. My first year yeah. at Liverpool. Uh, signing there for one was just I was thrilled to bits um, joining such a massive club. You know, I even when I was w- walking out to the to the game, I would touch the Anfield badge. Yeah. You know, because I used to watch the videos. My dad was a fan. So when I was about 10 and, and 8 to 10, I used to watch the videos and I always saw John Barnes and Ian Rush always do it. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah, I've got to do this. I'm a part of that. I'm part of the team now. And it was just a great experience. And, you know, I played every single game. Only Pep, Pep Rayner um, played more than me. I think I played 54 games that season. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. And, and we got to the Champions League final that season as well. Yeah. And so it was just that uh, that year was will always, you know, be the highlight of my career. That's amazing, Champions League. Is that the final when Liverpool lost to AC Milan? We lost AC Milan that one year, um, 2-1. Um, but again, you know, 12 months previous to that, I was sitting in a prison cell. And then yeah. Tom was on the line, I'm playing in Athens in the Champions League final, the biggest domestic game out there. So it was a great turnaround and a great achievement and a, a great period of my career, which I'll always, you know, put as, as number one. Because that's the thing, because I mean, footballers, people forget footballers' careers are so short, aren't they? I mean, even if you're at the top of the game for your whole career, it's still, you know, a real small slice of your life. So these, you know, these short periods mean so much to you. And if you have a good season, you know, here and there, that, you know, it can mean so much to you in, in what is a short career, you know, Giles and I are doing careers where, in theory, you can do it until you're in your 70s or 80s. But a footballer's career is so short that I think you do have to appreciate and cling on to those moments when it went well. Yeah, 100%. It's like probably 35 is the average retirement age. So depending on how early you start playing first-team football, you're looking at 15 years 
you know, career. And you're rightly so. You you do take every game, every moment, even every goal, yeah. as you know, you cherish it because it's it's such a short a career span. And you know, my goal for Liverpool against Chelsea again is my, my greatest yeah. goal I've ever scored. Yeah. Um, so them moments, you know, will stick in my in the back of my mind and my memory like well yesterday for sure because you do have such a um, short span in the game. Yeah, it's just funny because like as fans, obviously, we're so emotionally invested in our club. We get emotionally invested in the players, Conor Gallagher again. And so we, we live all those moments. And yet it's it's funny, actually, you forget when you talk to a footballer, you think you realise, oh, my God, they're, they're a person, too. And actually, they're thinking about that goal against Chelsea as much as any Liverpool fan would have done at the point. They're enjoying it as much as you do. You almost think footballers are almost portrayed as like robots sometimes that just get up, play, yeah. and go, but they're not. They're people. They're having the same emotions when they look back at stuff as you are as a fan. 100%. And like when I watch Liverpool in the Champions League or when I'm watching, when I'm supporting them, you know, I get the same feeling if I was playing. Yeah. If I lost, you know, I go off, you know, we'll be gutted and you go, right, roll your seats up onto the next one. Yeah. Whatever you fans are going through, we're going through as well, yeah. 100%. There's no shadow of a doubt. Uh, we hate losing. We want to win. We get the, the joys of celebrating a goal as much as you do yeah. when we run over to you. We, that, that, you know, we have it. So they just think we're there to entertain, get a paycheck, and off we pop. But no, we're, we're investors just as much as the fans, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And this is why I think players sometimes get, upset when we get abuse from the fans because we're just we're just we're, we're united we're, we're you really yeah 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 absolutely how have you found stopping playing because obviously that's a big thing. You know, you've spent all this time playing. Um, has it been an easy process to go through? Um, it's, it's been difficult, for sure. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's been difficult. Um, I, I think towards the end of my career, there's, there's so much politics in football now yeah. that it, it brings on so much pressure. And again, when you're not fulfilling your potential, what you want to do is play, you, you then start losing love for the game and you you know then you start to into a job all right let's just go in yeah. all right let's go home or we'll go in and train today you're not in the height of it anymore and then once you, you you finish your career it's then what's next that's when that fear kicks in if you've not already put anything in place it's shit what am i gonna do now mm-hmm. um where's the lifestyle that i had am i gonna maintain that because at some point, if I'm not doing anything, it's going to come to a head. Um, doesn't matter how much money you've got, you, you need to still maintain a certain side of, side of living. And obviously that side of it does start creeping in. And I remember I just, my contract got ended with Stoke. He called, Mark Hughes called me and said, oh, we're not um, taking on the option. Um, and there's a form for you to sign downstairs with the secretary. So they expect to go down there, sign it, and then never see the club again. Yeah. It was like, wow, but I didn't. I just walked out and spoke to my agent. I was gutted, devastated, and ended up signing it via email or something. But after that, I was on my own. I was like, right, to my agent, what's what club's next? Where can I go next? What country or what or where? 
And when that when you can't find that, it is it's a very, very scary place to be in. It must it, it must be quite a lonely existence, I think, at that point. And you've gone from changing rooms with people in them and the banter and stuff, and then suddenly as you say you're you're on your own, it must be very weird and lonely. Yeah, it is. I, I think you might enjoy it waking up thinking, right, I don't have to get up this early yeah. today or I've not put my body through this this regime of training and like to, to early days that was nice. <laughs> you know, not having to do that, not having to sprint around every day. But then again you start missing the changing room. Yeah. That's what I missed more. Yeah. Um, because sometimes when you're playing for a team and you're not doing well, it is stressful. Yeah. So like you don't you, sometimes you're happy when you're picked because if you lose the repercussions of it is dark and it's hard and mm. ruins your week. And some like the weaker players were definitely like, oh, I'm not in the squad today. Good. Yeah. We're playing um, Liverpool. Oh, we're definitely going to get battered. I don't want to play. <laughs> um, but I miss, so I, I don't miss sometimes the playing side of it, but it's the changing rooms, the bond with your players, going in and seeing what stories are going to come out this week, what players, you know, what they're up to uh, and, and, you know, stupid change room antics that the jokes that the boys play in each other like my best one was against Crouchy um, he always used to that's Stoke he always used to sit the opposite side of me and every morning he'll be you know in the paper on his phone but I would come in I would always be the last one so I'd come in I'd get undressed fully start naked <laughs> fully just ready to put the slips and shorts on, but I'll turn around, bend right over, and go, Crouchy! <laughs> <laughs> and he would just look up at me and just see my arse. <laughs> just from, <laughs> I hear him from just staring at his face. And it's like, oh, fuck's sake, I see that first thing in the morning. I've got, you know, every day, we have to for it every time. Crouchy! You just look up and go, oh, fuck you Not again. <laughs> You know, just before he goes to breakfast, it was brilliant. <laughs> but, uh, you, you played with my two clubs, then. I been... played at Portsmouth. And Portsmouth. Oh, no, three, Portsmouth, um, Portsmouth, Stoke, and Liverpool. He must yeah. have been thinking, I can't get away from Jermaine Pennant's arm. <laughs> no, I go. No, I can't. But he loved, he loved having me, though, because the amount of assists I used to get through. Oh, of um, course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I miss, I miss stuff like that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the room banner. Yeah, for sure. He seems like a good guy, Crouchy. He seems to always seem like he was quite fun. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a funny guy. He's hilarious, in fact. What a guy. Some stories I've got. <laughs> For another time. He's, uh, yeah. he's got a good podcast, actually, to be fair, which is, uh, which is very good as well. Um, but you then, because then you went to uh, Spain for a bit, didn't you? You played at Zaragoza. Um, that must have been a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, it was. Um, obviously, I, I watched La Liga, so... You know, I thought it would suit me well, which it did. It's a little bit slower. It's not as physical. You know, you haven't got Martin Keown's coming down the back of your Achilles yeah. yeah. in the Liga. There's none of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, the football side was great. I really enjoyed it. And where I was based, Saragossa, it's really traditional, old-school Spanish. And obviously, I didn't know a word of Spanish. Obviously, I had to learn it along the way. Yeah. And that was difficult. And then I got a little bit homesick as well. Mm. You know, it's being on my own. That's uh, the last thing I needed. Um, so that kind of fizzled out towards the end. And I was dying to come back. And then Stoke City wanted me on loan. Yeah. And they, the, the club that I was at was strapped for money. So they paid a little loan fee and it worked out. And I played amazing and Tony Pulis signed me. 
Tony Pulis. What, what a man. What a, what a guy. What a, <laughs> were, were you, uh, were you, in the, were you, oh, I wonder if it crossed over your time. Were you there when he had that fight with um, James Beatty in the changing room? No, nah, just, just missed uh, it. But, um, I, I, you know, I had the insight of it, the full story of it. It was funny. It was all over uh, the, the Christmas party. Oh. Yeah, so basically the, what Christmas do, the clubs have like, everyone, every club does it, you know, uh, at the Christmas party. So you have two, two days off, Saturday, Sunday off, come back in Monday. And <clears throat> all arranged. And Tony Pulis has said, right, yeah, boys, you can have Saturday, Sunday off. So James Beatty's organised all the, the Christmas do for the boys in London. They was playing Arsenal and they got absolutely hammered. And then he's came in and goes, right, I'll see you in tomorrow. Oh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so they've all planned all this, everything. And then I think Tony's got uh, undressed, gone into the shower. And then James is like, fucking this, fucking that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then Tony's gone, you what? <laughs> in the shower. And then, he's <laughs> and then James B is giving it him back. And then apparently he's came running out. <laughs> so he's just come running out, bollock naked. <laughs> and then squaring nose to nose with um, oh with God. James. And, uh, yeah, and everyone's had to try and square it off and then argy bargy. Oh, what a story. Oh, my God. <laughs> just imagine, no. though. Oh. Just imagine, though, sitting here as one of the players and you're seeing your gaffer run out of the shower. You know, he's dingle just dangling out, you know. Oh, God. A lot of your stories involve full nakedness, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. There, there are some fully clothed ones. <laughs> oh, man. There's so many. I mean, yeah, God, you've played with some so many characters, haven't you? And I guess you just, you just, yeah. you must come across so many characters in the game and see so many things like that as well. It's, you know, I know a few people that work in the game and stuff, and it's, I think it's such a, mad industry and mad existence People well i was gonna say know, do you think, think there's there's many characters now because it feels like a little bit like a lot of the players are quite individual um in the way they approach the games you know you obviously see them coming off the off the coaches all with headphones on they're all in their oh. own mindset i wonder if there is the same kind of com- i'm sure there is camaraderie but i wonder if it has changed a little bit during over the years and that there is a little bit more individualism within the game yeah mm. I, I i think it Good question. Yeah. From back in the day, it was, it was wild. I would say it has changed a tad. I think it's got a little bit more, I won't say professional, but mm. self-aware mm. of, you know, how to maintain an image yeah. rather than being a, you know, having jokes and being a joker. I think it's, it's there's a lot of branding now, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's probably toned down, but I'm sure behind closed eyes in the changing rooms, there is still fun in games, but, you don't really see it out too much in the public. I guess you've got social media as well, Twitter and stuff. Like You've got to be well, so careful it, yeah. because if you say or do anything wrong, even that's if you're literally I mean. walking to Get the killed, car at the changing, uh, training ground, people can see anything, can't they? See anything, yeah. The camera's always on you. So I think you have to be careful how far you take a joke and what the joke is. Where back in the day when the social media wasn't really about, it was at the high. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's definitely like you said, this jail is probably toned down a bit. Yeah. yeah. How are you with social media and stuff? Do you like, do you, do you mind it? Because obviously it's quite toxic sometimes. Yeah. It is, yeah, it is toxic. I don't mind it. Um, obviously, you, you, like I said, you, 
even I'm not playing anymore, I'm still still a certain figure, so you still gotta be careful what you post, what you say, what your opinions are on. Mm. But I, I don't mind it. You know, it it's got it like I said, it's got its pros and it's got its cons. It's great for for pod, for podcasts and getting stuff out there and promoting stuff. And it has its drawbacks as well. But you know, I don't use it I don't use it that much to be, you know, really engaged in in, in all the politics. Yeah. Well, I know Jim, because Jim, I know Jim, well, Jim does a, a football podcast as well. And I know it can be, you can find it quite, you know, like it, like a, a lot of discussions now, it's very binary. You know, you're on one side or the other. And I guess football's a very binary industry in regards to, you know, you're playing, there's two teams and, you know, you get the the conflicts between them. But I can imagine like Jim, you've obviously talked about it before that, how it can be quite toxic with regards to football debates and stuff. Well, I've, yeah, I told you this earlier. I've actually create a new twitter account jermaine so i've got my like mm. main comedy one and stuff and i follow football people and stuff and you yeah. you, you see people arguing about all sorts of rub pointless rubbish i've created a new one just for fantasy football i'm obsessed with fpl it's it's a, it's a whole thing i'm working on it but it is a big part of my life so i've just created one for that and i just follow fantasy football people and i just get healthy chats and i've actually literally just this new account blocked out any of the uh, the weird t- football twitter nonsense because it can drag you down so i've had to like almost like self-regulate myself for that to happen. So I guess there are kind of ways around it, but I do think it's sensible to be careful with your social media, careful, not only what you put out, especially for someone like you who's in the public eye, but also what you see, because it's so easy to go down a rabbit hole of Twitter arguments oh, and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's mad. Yeah. I, I've, I found myself on Twitter getting into an argument, you know, when I said something about a player and they're like, they're so good at trapping you. Yeah. At getting you to rally you up to, to that one mm. bite that, you know, basically opens the tin and all them worms come out and then you, you, yeah. you're having an argument with a bot yeah. at the end, yeah. you know, and then you're going down, like I said, that spiral and you, you lose all focus and you just, you, you, you tap in your keyboard warrior and that's when you might say something stupid that later on in life can come back and bite you in the mm. arse. Yeah. Um, so you have got to be careful how much you let it affect you and what you, you respond. But you said it's, it's easy, easily done, easily done. Yeah. Jermaine, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, listen. Pleasure's all mine. Oh, Real pleasure you, to talk to you. Lovely. And uh, thanks, thank you so much for being so open as well. And, uh, yeah, we really uh, appreciate no, it. Really appreciate I've it. I've both. Oh. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Jimmy. Mate, thank you. <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it now, Jimmy. Jimmy, oh. Jimmy, get off the bench. Thank like Jimmy. Get off the bench, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be taken back to Crow, bro. Yeah. 2008. Oh, yeah. oh, my word. Thanks, bad boy. Mate. Love it. Jermaine Pennant on the Blank Podcast. What an absolutely top bloke. Really enjoyed talking to him. Could have chatted to him for hours and hours on end. And uh, had I been allowed to, I would have done and asked him every single question (laughs) I could think of. But he was brilliant. I mean, you know, really just thank you so much 
to him for giving us our time, answering our question. Nothing was really off the table and, you know, answering every question in a very friendly, jovial, but also serious way. I just think he was absolutely brilliant. You know, he's, he's trying to get into media stuff now and I think he'd be very good. His podcast is excellent, uh, brutally honest, and uh, I think he's going to go far as well because he's got, he's got the right personality and charisma to him. So, yeah, just great guy, you know, and what a story he's had um, mm. and... I think him telling his story and his background, his journey is really important um, for anyone, young footballers or anybody, really. Um, and, you know, he's he's had a lot of ups and downs, but he's he's very sort of uh, publicly owning his, his improvement. And I think that's fantastic. And so, yeah, just a lovely guy. Really appreciate his time. Fantastic footballer as well. I mean, again, people listening might not be football fans, but for you and I, I mean, growing up, he, I think he's the same age as me. So he was someone that was just, you just you always knew about Jermaine Pennant because he was mm. so good. Um, so it's just lovely actually getting to talk to him about his his story. So yeah, top man, top top man. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, like I say, very um, really appreciate Jermaine being so honest with us and sort of talking to us about those difficult times, which you know, um, which is what we love about this podcast is that we obviously get these guests on that are extremely successful at what they've been doing or or what they continue to do. But yet we, you know, they're they're happy to talk about those not so good times and how they yeah. get through those moments. Uh, so that's always a it's always a joy to um, talk to these people, but also to be able to listen to what you know when things aren't going so well and and how they've got through those moments. Um, yeah, exactly. We, we all, all have those times in life, and uh, yeah, it's really good. And I think uh, Jermaine was uh, had a fantastic story to tell. He's been you know been through some very dark times and. Uh, it's great that he's able to discuss those things openly and, you know, pass on that knowledge to others. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, it's just a, yeah, just a really, really nice guy. As I said at the top of the pod, like you just, you don't really get to know someone until you actually spend a bit of time talking to them. And mm. I just thought he was so easy to talk to. And yet he's also, as you say, sharing a very difficult journey and backstory, which probably isn't easy going over those things, you know, a lot and yet he was you know it was like we're chatting down the pub just, yeah. yeah really really enjoyed it and um please do check out his podcast brutally honest and buy his book as well because uh really it's 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 something that anyone you know again something that i've got to know from doing this episode and other ones with footballers is that footballers are just people and footballers yeah. have you know just because they're in a different industry same issues that we have as well so we are all much more connected and closer than than we think we are despite what newspapers and and the media will sometimes well have i think believe. people need to bear in mind that most people if they make a a mistake for example aren't doing it in front of 30 yeah. 40,000 people yeah um you know if you make a mistake at work then it could be like you know you might be a bit embarrassed and you might it might be in front of one or two people, but if you make, yeah, if you make a mistake, you haven't got 40,000 people howling at you. Um, so it's worth bearing in mind that, that that kind of thing might take a little toll on people's me- yeah. mental health from time Quite. to time. Exactly. And some footballers, you know, it's funny, he mentioned James Milner, like some footballers almost are kind of built for that and are fine and other footballers aren't and and that's not their fault it could be a product of their upbringing or just personality type and so other footballers do need that extra support and 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 clearly Jermaine did not get that at crucial times in his in his life and his upbringing and there are probably thousands of other footballers that didn't either and probably thousands if not more footballers lost to the game that we that we never heard of because of those reasons so absolutely you know we are all 
people at the end of the day with personalities and with anxieties and worries and stuff and the game certainly didn't treat people well it's good to hear that it is getting better but I'm sure more could be done because these are people as you say making mistakes in front of 50,000 people and that is I can't even imagine that pressure so yeah so anyway thank you so much for Jermaine for for coming on what a what a top man um I think that's the end, isn't it? What do we do normally? We uh, we give out our Twitter handles and stuff, but I think otherwise we're, we're done with all the admin, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're done with the admin. Um, <laughs> did it all at the yeah. top. Yeah, we did it all at the top. <laughs> now, if you want to get in contact with us, you can. You can uh, tweet us. You can Instagram us. You can Facebook us. Um, what's the handle again, Jim? It's at blank pod on all oh, three. That's easy, isn't it? So whatever L A N K P O D P O D. Whatever, whatever platform you're on, you just drop yeah. us a line. Um, we'd love to interact with you. Um, and yeah, and just share, you know, share your thoughts on this episode, other episodes, whatever. Again, if you're a patron, uh, you get a bit of extra content. Patreon.com slash blank podcast. Um, it's where you can get that extra, extra minutes with all our guests, including Jermaine today. So, um, please do join our little community there as well. We uh, we love our patrons, and that's how you can support the pod. We yeah. are, as Jermaine said at the top of the pod, he does his pod completely on his own. We do ours on our own. We're just two guys doing the editing and the promoting and all that. So yeah. any support you can give through Patreon genuinely goes back into keeping the pod going, and, and we'd really appreciate it. We would. Please. <laughs> Please. We're not we begging or anything. We don't want to beg. We don't want to beg, but, you know. <laughs> but we will. But it will help. Uh, yeah no brilliant cool okay well i think we should go because i mean next week we're going to have another another guest on the blank podcast as we always do i hope so so i hope so too yeah exactly so it's always uh we we never know until until they appear on our screens whether they're going to come or not and then their smiling face turns up on the zoom we're like oh here we go (laughs) no so uh we'll have another guest next week and if we don't charles we will put out we'll put out our um a classic episode. It's something yeah. we've been doing recently. We'll, and actually, we'll, it's been really nice that people yeah. are really interacting with those. Well, we'll try not to um, let anyone down who's listening. You'll get something. This is Even the if thing, it's just like, Jim and I just waffling on. We like to feel like, yeah, exactly, that we want to give back each week. So, And, and again, you know, a little, little insight into the pod world. Now, we are two guys doing it on our own. We don't have a production team. So, And sometimes wires get crossed or people don't, uh, you know, people have to go and do something else at the last minute. Totally, totally cool. People have lives. People are busy. Um, yeah. People are busy. So we obviously, there are some weeks we, we are sort of close to the bone. But if that happens, we'll put something out and we'll make sure that our listeners get something. And we hope people appreciate that we are two guys doing this, you know, just basically almost in our spare time and trying our hardest to make it work. And some weeks are smooth and some weeks aren't, but we will try and Make sure our listeners get something each week. But it's been really nice that, you know, we're up to 170 episodes now. So And people have been joining the, the community every week. So there's a big back catalogue. And so being able to share some of the older episodes with people and people really resonating with them has just been a really nice way to reintroduce ourselves to our listeners, I think. Yeah. And with that in mind, please sign up to our Patreon. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Beautifully done. Anyway, mate, have a good week. And you. Um, yeah, and I'll see you again. Well, I'll see you again, definitely. But we'll see our listeners again uh, and our patrons, who we love, of course, uh, next week on the Black Podcast. Until then, stay safe, take care, and we'll see you again very soon. Goodbye.
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus this is a glass box media podcast